Thank you for listening to our midweek service from Christian Ministry Church. We're praying that this message blesses, encourages, and equips you to build the kingdom of God. Man, love our worship team. I love that song, man. I love the lyrics, to the one who endured all the shame of the cross, to the lamb who was slain as atonement for us, to the son who overcame all the power of death we praise. For the stripes, for the wounds, for the beatings you bore, for the tears, for the blood that was willingly poured. (sighs) Man, I think about it, those thieves, they probably had to force down on the cross, but Jesus just laid down willingly on that cross and took that like, God. That's love, man. For the merciful, wonderful majesty of your love, we praise. We crown you. We fall face down. We, are wor- we worship you. are worthy, God. And this ties right into what I want to talk about this morning because Jesus did all of that for us. He did it for us because he wanted relationship with us. He wanted communion with us. He wanted to defeat the things that so separate us from him. If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter two. If you don't have your Bibles, just listen real good. John chapter two, verse 13, it says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle and scattered the money changer coins over the floor and turned over the tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me or zeal for God's house will will consume me is what most translations say. And that he's, they're quoting Psalm 69, nine there when, when David made that declaration. But I love this, I love this little story here. And, and I can imagine the disciples going into the temple with him. And then all of a sudden, like, he's not there anymore. And it's like, where'd he go? Cause it says he made a whip, you know, and that just didn't, he just, he didn't pull one out. He went and made one. So this was like premeditated, right? He thought about this as he's making that whip, he's thinking about what he's about to do. And so imagine walking in with Jesus and there to worship the Lord. And then all of a sudden he comes back in with a whip, chasing people out and flipping over tables. Like that's wild. And they says that what came to their mind was the disciples remembered that zeal for his father's house will consume him. Zeal for his house will consume him. And I want you to know like it, it was zeal for his house. It was zeal for us that caused him to go all the way to the cross. I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about us having zeal for his house. How do we get that hunger and that desire for his house? Psalms Psalms 122 verse one says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That's on our, our deal out there above the couch. Cute little decoration, probably from Hobby Lobby. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And this is King David talking about it. It stirred up excitement in him to go worship the Lord. It stirred up excitement in him to go worship the Lord. And David so had that heart, even Psalms 27 says that there's one thing that I ask, one thing that I desire, one thing that I seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty and inquire of him in his temple. Listen to this, all the days of my life. Psalms 84, he says, better is one day in your courts, O God, than thousands elsewhere. 
But there is one day in your presence, one moment with you face to face than thousands elsewhere. See, David was this pre-Messianic figure who made that declaration of zeal for your house consumes me. And the same zeal that consumed, that ate up. Has anything ever eaten you up? Where it's all you can think about, it's all you long for, it's all you want, it's all you need. Where it just eats you up. That's what ate up David was this zeal. That's what ate up Jesus when he was 12 years old and his parents lost track of him. And they found him three days later in the temple. And the parents are like, why would you do this to us? And he's like, I'm 12. Like, you know, it's like, do this to you, left me. <laughs> um, <laughs> silly. Why would you do this to us? And, and he says, don't you know that I would be in my father's house about his business? That's what he came for. That's what he longs for, to be in his father's house. And, and, and listen, I want you to know this morning as we begin to talk about zeal for the house and as we get into this, that, that going to church, that gathering with God's people is not something that we check off our list. It is who we are. It's not a box that you check just like your prayer life is not a box that you check. It's who you are. Gathering with God's people is who we are. It's what we are called to do. And, and, and listen, what we're going to see today is it's a command that we obey, not begrudgingly, but excitingly. Not begrudgingly, but be excitingly. David has a heart, what joy I had when I got to go to the house of the Lord. Psalms 133 says, what joy there is when brothers are united together in worship. See, there's joy there. It's not begrudging like, oh, look, I've got to go to church today. It's like, man, I can't wait to get there. I cannot wait to gather where God's people are gathering. I cannot wait to worship him with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, I, and, and as we start this, I hope you wore your steel-toed boots today. I just want to warn you, I'm probably going to say, I, I'm going to say some things that some of you are like, yes, like this is so good. And some of you are going to be like, this dude is a lot. That's a little too much. Um, um, but this message is in no way to shame anyone into coming to church. I don't think that works anyway, but rather to teach us the importance of church, rather to teach us the importance of gathering together. That's as we open God's word today. And as we see that we too are supposed to have zeal for his house, this message isn't to build a larger audience. Honestly, this message sometimes builds a smaller audience, um, but it's to teach us. We're supposed to repent, change the way that we think about everything. And how do we change the way that we think about everything? We see how the Bible tells us to think about everything. So this is not Josh Barnett's opinion. This is what God's word commands us to do. And in it, we find fullness of life. I think somewhere along the way in our, in our Christian walks, a lot of times we, we begin to forget how close and how personal God is to us. That his very presence isn't just in this room and on the earth, but it's in me. His very, the presence that raised Christ Jesus from the dead takes up residence on the inside of me. From the very beginning of creation in scripture with Adam and Eve, we see God's heart, his longing, his desire to live with us. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And even when they blew it, he basically makes the declaration of, I'm coming to get you back. And even when man was separated from God because of their sin, there were still men that God deeply encountered because those men wanted to deeply encounter him. You read about a guy named Enoch who just got raptured, just walking along one day and just got taken. Man, that's amazing. That's incredible. That, and that was, that was pre-Christ, right? That was after the fall pre-Christ. So like sin doesn't necessarily keep God away from us. Oftentimes it's us choosing to keep, to stay away from him. It's not that God doesn't look on sin. It's that he doesn't look on sin favorably, right? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, where did God come looking? For them, right? 
And so, so you've got Enoch, then you get to Noah. And obviously with Noah, things have gotten so bad that there's just, there's a, there's a reset and <laughs> there's a reset, but God, but God and Noah like had this relationship with each other. And you go from Noah to Abraham, God calls a man named Abraham to start a nation because God wanted a people group that was devoted to him. And so he started with a man who became a nation that was meant to become a world. It was meant to become a, God's heart you see all through the, the Old Testament wasn't just for Israel, it was for all the nations of the world. God doesn't love Israel more than he loves you. You don't see it, God doesn't love Israel more than he loves you, he loves you. God's not racist. He doesn't love Jewish people more than he loves you and I. You see all through, you see all through the Old Testament that God is using Israel He's going to send his son through a people to make disciples of nations. When, when, when the disciples were like, are you now going to set up Israel? He said, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I hear a pin drop in here in Galilee. <laughs> so we get Abraham setting up this nation. Then, then through a series of circumstances, I'm not going to give you the, all the Old Testament history this morning, but they end up in Egypt as slaves. And God raises up Moses to set his people free so that they may go into the wilderness and do what? Worship him. He didn't just call Moses out to worship him. He wanted a people to worship him. He wanted a people gathered to worship him. <laughs> and so you have, then Moses, Moses sets up this tent of meeting before the tabernacle. And I, there's this fascinating verse where in uh, Exodus 33, 11, where Moses and Joshua go into the tent of meeting to talk to the Lord as a friend talks to one face-to-face. -face. That's incredible, first of all. That's absolutely amazing. And it's, but, it, but what's interesting is if you, if you study that, everybody was invited to go to the tent of meeting, but only Moses and Joshua did. Everybody was invited. God wanted all of them there, but only Moses and Joshua went. And even when Moses left, it says that Joshua would stay. One translation says that Joshua would, he would linger in the tent of meeting. That's so cool. I love that. And then you have, after the tent of meeting, they set up the tabernacle. And, and obviously the tabernacle is set up for a long time until you get to King David. And King David is like in his palace and he looks out. And, and we have this in several narratives, but, but in Psalms 132, David's heart is, I will not sleep until I build a house for my Lord because I'm in this palace and he's in that tent. Wow, that's cool. It's like God cares about buildings too. <laughs> He does, but then Solomon builds the temple, obviously, and it's immaculate, it's absolutely, it's absolutely awesome, but only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was never God's desire. He wanted everybody to be able to go into the Holy of Holies, and how do we know that? Because he sent Jesus. All of, all, everything that the Old Testament is going on with Israel and the tabernacle and the tent of meeting and the, and, and the, and all the Holy of Holies, all of that was type and shadow of what was coming. They were, they were a, they were, there was one priest, but they were about to be a kingdom of priests. Come on, and through Jesus, Jesus came as a new temple. He came as the archetype, he came as the anti-type, he came as the new thing, as the temple and the high priest and the sacrifice all in one. It's wild, it's crazy. I don't know how it works, it's just a great mystery, but it's really cool. And then, so Jesus came as that, and because of his life, death, and resurrection, guess what we now are? We are temples of the Holy Ghost. Because of his blood, Jesus told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I leave because if I don't, he won't come. See, Jesus didn't just want to walk with you. He wanted to be in you. Come on. And now we all get to be temples of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to start right here. That's a long intro, but I want to start right here with you 
are the house of God? Do you have zeal for this temple? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? That the very God of the universe takes up residence on the inside of you, right? That's why I don't let my, my kids sing this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine because you're not gonna call my God a little light. You're not gonna call the, the God who said, let there be light and galaxies exploded from those words, still moving from those words, a little light. He's not a little light. He's a blazing inferno that lives on the inside of your chest. Okay, inside of you, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you have zeal for this house? Do you have zeal for this house? Paul specifically is saying, do you not know your body's temple of the Holy Spirit because of the sin that the Corinthians were living in? Right, because sin separates us from God. And Paul's like, you better, you gotta get that out, man. You gotta get that out. Jesus, the reason that he went into the temple and he began to flip over tables and drive people out is because the whole marketplace had taken up the outer court. And in the outer court, that's where women and Gentiles could come and pray and worship. That's why Jesus began to flip over tables. So if Jesus responds that way, how do you think Jesus is gonna to respond to the sin in your life that is separating him from, his, from your love? See, when you, you need to see God's wrath this way. God's wrath comes against anything that separates you from him. And so Jesus oftentimes is gonna come in and he's gonna flip over tables in your heart and drive out the things in your life that are separating you from him. You hear me? Okay, that's why Jesus says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves because they were robbing people of being able. And, and he said, it will be a house of prayer. There are people in there trying to pray. And he's saying, you've turned it into a den of thieves. You hear me this morning? Okay, so we are God's temple. First Corinthians three sixteen says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? First Peter 2, 5 says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So we are the church, our bodies are temples. I am his temple, you are his temple. Now, what happens here though, is that people go like, oh cool, like I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, so now I don't have to go to church anymore. Right? As I hear that as a cop out all the time, I was like, the church is a people, not a building. It's like, yes and no. Yeah, there's more to it than that, right? And that's, because that's why he said in Peter, it's like, you are living stones that God is building into his temple. So like, you're a stone, but you're also part of a temple. You're a temple that's supposed to be part of a temple. We were never meant to do life in isolation. Christianity is not a lone ranger religion. We were meant to live in community with each other. We were meant to gather. When God's people are gathering, we are supposed to be there. All through the New Testament, it uses language like the, the, about the church being a family. It uses family style language. You have to know you're part of something bigger than you. I'm part of something bigger than me. It uses fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and daughters and sons to describe our relationship with each other. That's why I'm never nervous. I, I used to get nervous about preaching. I don't get nervous about preaching anymore. I don't, I'm not nervous about standing up here at all because I don't look at this as me getting up here and performing a sermon for you. 
I, I look at this, like I legit see this as me standing up at the head of the table and giving the announcements to the family today, giving the sermon, giving the teaching to the family today, giving, this is our family devotion this morning. I'm so glad that everybody joined us. That's how I look at it because that's what it is. We're, we are a family. This is a, this is described as a household. So I want you to know that Jesus dwells his spirit with us individually and also he dwells with us corporately. There's a clear call for us to steward our personal relationship with Jesus privately, but there's also a clear call to steward our relationship with Jesus publicly. The New Testament church did not do church on the golf course. They didn't do church at work. They didn't do church fishing. They didn't do church at their little kid's softball game. They gathered together and their one focus was him, was to worship him. And listen, scripture clearly teaches that there's there's certain things that you can only get from that private individual relationship and from the corporate gathering. And they actually are meant to fuel each other. My secret place relationship with him fuels what goes on in the corporate place. If you don't believe me, go spend some quality time with the Lord every single day this week and then come back next Sunday and see how your heart feels when you step in and Brandon's up here singing, we crown you. Maybe you won't be sitting in the back going, I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm trying to, I I want to teach. I don't want to shame. I don't want to, and if you're sitting in the back and you're like, I was dancing back here. I see you. I see you. I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm, hear me. (laughs) There are some things that he can only do alone with you, but there are also some things that he can only do with us together. Right? Because scriptures, Jesus says where two or three gathered, I'm among them. Right? We get so individualistic in our Western culture, but Christianity is not meant to be an individual religion. It's a corporate religion. It's one that we do life together. And listen, it's not cult, it's covenant. It's not cult, it's covenant. And, and people in our community accuse us of being a cult. It's because we're doing something right. It's because we don't only come to church on Sunday morning. It's because we are doing life together. Do you know my best friends, do you know where my best friends are? In this room. God bless how much you love the guys that you work with, but your best friends should be a part of your church. They should be believers or really strong members of another church, but they should be believers. Not saying that you can't have friends that aren't, that aren't believers, but your best friends, the ones that you allow to pour into your life, the ones that you spend the most time with, they better be a part of the church, man. They better be a part of the church. Okay, so we are part of this body. Romans 12, verse three through five says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, this is Paul talking. He says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's bodies. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And he goes on to talk about the giftings of the church. He also does the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He addresses the church as a body. And he talks about how like, you can't say to your hand, like I have no need for you, right? I can't say that to my hand. I don't have a need for you. Just, right, cut it off. He says, he even talks about the seemingly insignificant parts your body has need of. Your body, has, I just don't need it anymore. 
and you just cut it off. And the same, the hand can't look, my hand can't look at me and say, I don't need you anymore. You can't do that. It's not supposed to do that. And that's how Paul is describing the church, the gathering. He's like, that's how woven we are together is that you're a finger and I'm a finger or you're a toe or you're a nose or you're a whatever. It's like, that's how Paul describes is how the body of believers is supposed to look at each other. And listen, have you ever had a toothache? Like a real bad one? My goodness, is there anything worse? It's awful. It's dehabilitating. You can't work, right? You can't, you can't eat. When you get hungry, you get worse, right? And it's like, yeah. It's like when one part of the body suffers, it all suffers. So it's the same thing. It's like when somebody is grieving a loss or somebody is going through something really hard, guess what? We all suffer with you. And when, somebody, when something awesome happens to somebody, we're not gen, envious or jealous. We're excited. We rejoice with them. That's what the body of believers looks like. And, and okay, so prepare yourself because here comes the sledgehammer. <laughs> it's amazing to me what believers place as non-negotiable and then make church optional. Sports, hobbies, working out, vacation, even their jobs. But the church is optional. And some of you, listen, I'm saying this with love. I'm trying to help the way that we think. Some of you would never let your kids miss a sports practice, but church is optional. You're showing them what's priority. You're showing them what's priority. And my kids have had, they've been on baseball teams where they schedule a baseball game or practice on Wednesday night, sorry, can't be there because my priority is the gathering. They've tried Emma, Emma Jane, my sweetie precious, most beautiful little girl in the whole world. She is in dance, she does ballet, and she's the cutest thing ever. They've tried to schedule practice on Wednesday night, can't be there. They try to, they try to schedule pictures on a Sunday morning one time, she just won't be in it. I don't know what to tell you. Well, it's just one Sunday. And then it becomes more than one Sunday and more than one Wednesday and more than one whatever. See, church, church you, you read the New Testament, church is not optional for believers. Whenever God's people are gathering, we are called to be there. We're called to be there. Well, you know, well, I don't want to force my kids to go to kids' church or youth group. I mean, you force them to do a lot of other things they don't want to do. I mean, do they want to go to school every day? right? Do they want to brush their teeth every day? You force them to do it. Well, they might be rebellious or it might change your life. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's shocking to me that we have a girl like Chloe Davis, who's a youth leader in our youth group. And you moms aren't forcing your girls to be around her because she's absolutely incredible and amazing. Well, they may not like it or it might save their soul. I, I don't know. You know, I'm not... And, and, you know, what are the odds that your sweetie precious is going to be a professional athlete? I'm not trying, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to help us think right. What are the odds that anyone in this room is going to be a professional athlete? Slim to none. I hate to crush your dreams, but my goodness, just live in reality with me a little bit, you know? But what are the odds that they're going to stand before Jesus one day? You hear me? You're showing your kids what is priority. Sunday morning is not optional for us. Well, you're a pastor, you work here. 
It wasn't optional for me before I worked here. And maybe that's why they hired me. <laughs> Wednesday night, is, Wednesday night, man, you know, we wouldn't working all day. We're really tired. Did the New Testament church? I mean, well, our lives are pretty easy probably compared to theirs. I'm not, and I'm not trying, I just want to help us think, and we got to be a little bit tougher than we are sometimes. <clears throat> well, it's just Wednesday night, and then it's just Sunday morning, and then it's just once a month and twice a month and three times a month, and before you know it, it's been a while. In John 2, they were keeping those who wanted to be close to God far from him. They were robbing people of the ability to worship and pray. Jesus called it a den of thieves. Don't think there isn't a thief right now planning a baseball schedule. Don't think there isn't a thief right now planning a, a ballet schedule. I'm not saying these people are doing it on purpose. I'm just saying there is an influence. Don't think that there's not a thief planning for you to have a work emergency on Sunday morning. Don't think that there wasn't a thief that planned a sickness that shut church down for six weeks. Six weeks here, longer elsewhere, right? Don't think that there's not a thief that isn't trying to get us, that's trying to keep us from gathering. Another thing that these, they were doing in this marketplace here in the, in the outer courts is they were making what was holy and sacred commonplace. And I feel that that's what we've done a lot with God's house is that we've made it commonplace. We've made it just like everything else or even below everything else. When your kid won't miss a basketball practice, but they never come to youth group, it's, to me, that shows that it's taken a backseat, lower priority, right? If you're, I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> we're just, we're in serious error, dare I say sin, when other things take priority over the gathering of believers to worship, to incur, to believers to come to worship together, to be encouraged and to be equipped. Do you feel like going today is never a thought on your mind? Just don't think that thought. If it comes in, you take it captive because it's not from God. It's not from the Lord. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't forsake the gathering. If you do, you're missing out on worship of Jesus. You're missing out on being equipped for every good work and growing in your faith. You're missing out on building up the body with your gifting. The Bible is a book where God's people gather to worship him. Jesus included. Jesus, where did Jesus drive out the money changers? His home? The golf course? The fishing lake? The temple. Where did Jesus preach a lot? I know he preached some sermons on the mountain. But he also preached in the synagogues. He also went to the temple. In the New Testament, who are a lot of the epistles written to? Churches, not individuals. And most of the time when it's written to individuals, like First and Second Timothy, he's a pastor of a church, of a gathering, of a gathering. Well, in Acts, you know, they just had, they just had house church. You know, they just went home. They just went house to house. They just had house church. Well, yeah, but also... Acts chapter two, while we're on it, let's just, let's just, let's read it because it's good. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all, all, all the believers met together in one place. 
shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. So it's in the temple and also in the homes, right? Why do we have connect groups and small groups and youth group and kids church and all these whatever and everybody's trying to get me to come to something? It's because it's a, it's a daily thing, right? And they met and they gathered in the temple every day. It's like pulling teeth trying to get people to gather in the temple once a week, let alone twice a week, right? You come Sundays and Wednesdays in any church and you are the slim minority, you're the slim minority. Hear my heart on this, I love you. And I'm just trying to help the way that we think about church. And I'm trying to stir up some zeal. I'm not trying to cause shame or condemnation or anything like that. I'm just trying to stir up some zeal in your heart for God's house. Zeal for this house and zeal for this house. Zeal for this house and zeal for this house. I've got zeal for my temple and I've got zeal for your temple. And I've got zeal for your temple and I've got zeal for your temple and I've got zeal for you. And I've got zeal for us gathering together. They met house to house and they went to the temple. They gathered in the temple. When God's people gather, it is a priority. And people, well, the New Testament didn't have a home or a building to meet in. They, well, I bet they wish they would have. I am thankful that we have a building. Do you know how hot it is outside today? Glory. Do you want to be sitting outside, 98 degree heat? But guess what? If something happened to this building this week, if God forbid it burned down or a tornado came through, do you know where we would gather? Outside. We would do it. When, when the, even when the government shut us down, do you know where we gathered? Outside in the parking lot. Right? We're going to gather. Thank God we have a building. But we're called to gather. I want you to know this. Spiritual maturity does not happen outside of the context of relationships. Spiritual maturity does not happen outside of the context of relationships. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it is not one that is individual and private. We are called to personal fellowship with God and we are called to corporate fellowship with God. If God's people are gathering and you're a believer, you are part of God's people, so you have an obligation to be there. When people tell me they're moving, that they're going somewhere, my first thought is, what church are you moving to? What ministry is God calling you to be a part of? And it's usually not that. It's usually they're moving for work or retirement or job, you know, kids' school, or they're moving for something. And, and that, that's, that's backwards. We're supposed, we're supposed to find our people before we find our purpose. Because the people are our purpose. The people are our purpose. Man, go read Ephesians this week and look at the emphasis that God puts on his people, that Paul teaches, this is church, you're one spirit, you're one mind, he's the cornerstone, get together. When you do this, this is what you're supposed to do when you get together. You may think it, and you may think that's silly. You might think that's silly, but I have watched, <laughs> she's just amening. I, you may think it's silly, but I've watched more people than I can count fall away because they move for a job or they move for a college or they move for something new and they didn't find or have a healthy church community because the church isn't supposed to be an addendum on your life. You are the church and the church is you. You are the church and the church is you. People ask us a lot, why do our, our interns move here? They come here for nine months and then a lot of them end up staying. A lot of them end up moving here. Why, why do they do that? Why is that? It's because they found a people. It's because they have found a people. 
And listen, to me, it's the greatest compliment when somebody moves here because of the people they found. It's the greatest compliment. And listen, our interns, they, don't, they didn't get hired here. It's not because we gave them a job or a place to live. A lot of them are living in rundown, single wide trailers, renting together, sleeping on somebody's couch, on somebody's sofa. A lot of them are working out in the heat all day long. A lot of them are doing construction or working at coffee shops or doing odd jobs. And and many of them even still volunteering and keeping our church running right now. Why? Because they found their people. They found their people. They found their people. And they didn't move here for a job. They moved here for God's people. I think about Brad and Kaylee. They didn't move here for a job. Didn't have a job when they moved here. Drove 13 hours on a whim. Found our church and said, we're moving there. And they weren't just talk, they actually did it. Move your whole family. Yeah, come on. (laughs) Talking about living by faith this year. A man with three small kids moves his whole family here 13 hours away, away from all their family to start anew, not for a job, but for a church. Are you kidding me? It's because he found his people. He found his people. God called him to this people. If you are not connected with other Christians, serving and being served, challenging and being challenged, then you are not living as he desires and the church is not functioning as he intended. The New Testament mentions church 114 times. 90 of them are referring to the local gathering. God intends every follower believer to be a part of such gathering. God intends for us to be a united body, not a cluster of isolated individuals. Do you have zeal for the house? Do you have zeal for this body? Do you have zeal for this body? And and, and not only are we a part of a local church, we're part of a global church. If somebody moves away from here for another ministry or another church, like glory, that's awesome, man, because they're my family too. They're my family too. I'm not in competition with any church around here. In fact, every church that I drive by, I say a a short prayer over them, that God's presence would increase in that place and that people would be equipped to to build his kingdom. Do you think that Christian ministries can disciple all of Hot Springs? Heck no. We can't disciple this area. We need a lot of churches. I'm not in competition with any of them. It's not about getting stealing sheep from other pastors. That's not what it's about at all. There are many pastors that I'm friends with that I love that I pray for in this community. Now, I don't necessarily think it's healthy for someone to jump from pastor to pastor to pastor to pastor to pastor because I love Tim's example is like, you, you know, last, you needed a sermon on anxiety and that was last week. Or you need a sermon on being free from sin and that was this week, but you were church hopping. So I don't think it's very healthy to be a church hopper, to just go from place to place to place. But also I'm not in competition with them. And so like when I see gospel light people, I'm not like, ew, right? I'm not. When I see new life people, I'm like, oh my gosh, or Lake Point people. Like I don't feel that way at all. In no way do I feel like I'm in competition with any of them. I pray for all of those churches because they, they all love Jesus and they may have a little bit different beliefs than me and that's okay. There's a lot of people in this room that have, have different beliefs. There's some of you that think I'm absolutely crazy for speaking in tongues and I think you're crazy for not. But we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ because we both love Jesus, because we both believe that he's the son of God, right? We can be unified. We can be unified. Close to where um, my wife's grandparents live, in walking distance, there's a little chapel called Gaskew Chapel. It was built in like the 1890s. There's probably 10 people there this morning. 10 people would be a good Sunday for them. But do you know I've stood in that church on a Sunday morning 
and tears have streamed down my face while we sang nothing but the blood. The same spirit that is here this morning with 300 people is there with 10. You hear me? This last weekend, and listen, you're part of the global church. We don't take vacation from the gathering. Whenever we go, are going out of town, going somewhere else, do you know one of the first things that I'm Googling? Spirit-filled churches. That's the first thing I wanna, I wanna find a church to go to because I'm gonna gather where there's gathering. So we were in Dickinson, Texas, where my wife lives this last weekend. And uh, we went to the church that she grew up in, Living Faith Outreach, is absolutely incredible. And we were there, and listen, they do church quite a bit differently. Than we, they're spirit-filled, we believe they'll say things, they just do things a little bit differently. They've got flags and banners and paintings and dancers and all this kind of stuff that, I, and I kind of grew up in that culture, so it didn't bother me very much, but a lot of you would probably think it's really weird. Um, that's okay. But guess, guess who was there? The same spirit that is in this room. The same spirit that is in this room. Whew. Come on. And that Gascu Chapels, it's a Methodist church. Same spirit was there, man. It was awesome. That night, and actually it's really funny because we left that church Sunday morning and uh, we were driving back to their house and immediately the first thing I do as we leave that church is I pull out the live stream for our church for here. Because I'm not going to miss what God's doing. You hear me? On Wednesday night, a lot of times if I'm not preaching, you don't see me. It's not because I'm not on campus. It's because I'm over there in the student center with the youth group. Um, you should make your kids come to it. It's awesome. Right? It's, yeah, I don't want to waste my time. Anyway, um, I'm over there. You know what I do on Thursday morning? Live stream. I watch the live stream. Because I'm not going to miss out on what God is doing in my local gathering, in my body, just because I'm out of town. So we were driving home, and the, it, we were driving, we were actually stopped in Walgreens, and one of my kids, I don't know who it was, was like, Dad, why are you watching this? We just left church. And I'm like, I know we left a church, and that church is awesome, and I love that church, and it was absolutely incredible. But man, my spiritual father, Pastor Tim, is preaching a message, and I'm under his authority, I'm going to listen to it. He's my pastor and my shepherd, and when he's preaching, I'm going to listen to every single word he has to say. And my brothers and sisters in Christ are up here leading worship. I have an, a crazy amount of affection for them. I think Brandon and Lucas and Jason are the best, amazing, incredible male worship leaders in the whole world, right? Brandon's up here singing, we crown you. And you may not who sings, who sings that song, but it's Jeremy Riddle and he's a pretty popular guy. But I was like, Jeremy Riddle who, right? Man, goodness gracious. It was like, they're leading worship. And so I'm gonna, like Lucas is our worship pastor and he makes the set list. And so he listens to what God calls our house to sing to him. And so like, I'm gonna follow that lead and I'm gonna tune in and I'm gonna listen to that, right? Now it's like, it was last week uh, uh, or two weeks ago, Courtney did a song. I don't even know what it was now, but Courtney was doing a song on Wednesday night and Lucas was like, dude, you have to listen to this. And like, I, I got raptured in my truck. Like I, was, I thought I was gonna have a wreck because the Holy Spirit, because, because God is outside of time and space and just because it happened two weeks ago doesn't mean it's not still relevant for today. And so the same spirit that was moving uh, in here and that like came through my truck and was like, woof, like just hit me, dude. It's like, I'm committed to this gathering. I'm committed to the local body. I'm committed to the global body. And the same spirit that's in Gaskew with 10, that's in here with 300, that's at Bethel or Elevation or Hillsong with 3,000 this morning, it's the same spirit. Guess who's in all of those congregations? Jesus Christ, because he loves all of them. Because he has zeal for every house. He's got zeal for every house. Do you? Is zeal for your house consuming? We, like we're the body, he's the head, right? 
He's the head of the church. We're the stone, but he's the cornerstone. All of it is built on him. And he's the one that builds the church. That's what he told Peter in Matthew 16. I will build my church. And he's building his church. Are you allowing yourself to be here on Sundays and Wednesdays to be a part of it? Do you go to your connect group? Do you go to your connect group's Bible study? You go to what, everything that we have to offer so that you can be a part of what Jesus is building here in this body. I know he's building something else and other bodies and other bodies and other bodies and he's positioning us all over the world to guess what? Make disciples of all nations. That's what the church is calling us to do. And he's using us to do it here and he's using a church in Belize to do it there and he's using a church in Honduras to do it there and he's using a church in South Africa to do it there and he's using a church in China to do it there where people have walked 13 miles just to gather illegally behind closed doors with no air condition come on man which is really inconvenient one of my best friends Matt's sitting over there with his he got four kids today he's got five now but he brought four kids to church today while his wife's at home with a newborn and they drove how far you drive Matt 45 minutes 45 minutes come on well, it's just, it's just a little inconvenient. God's people are gathering. We have to be here. Good, it's inconvenient. It's a sacrifice. <laughs> Come on, but we're gathering. And, I, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody or shame anybody into coming. I'm just, let's fix the way that we think about church. Let's fix the way that we think about gathering. Jesus loves his bride. He loves his church. He loves when they gather. And a Christian, a little Christ, is supposed to love the church too. Jesus actually said in John 13 and John 17, he, he, he prayed that we would love each other like he loves us. And the way that we love each other, the world will know his, we're his disciples. That's wild. Not the way that we love him, but the way that we love each other is proof that we love him. Come on. Does zeal consume you? What do you have zeal for? Is your zeal for your family, your house, your car, your job, your hobby, your sports teams, movies? All those things are fine to have zeal for, but what is the most zeal in? What is your zeal in? We'll drive three hours, go sit in, a, in hot or cold for three hours to watch our favorite team lose like they lose every year. And we'll act like fools the whole time they're losing for something that has this much bearing on your life. But we won't drive 10 minutes down the road to gather with God's people. Let's fix the way that we think, church. That's what we have to do. Do you have zeal for his house? And man, I love, shoot. This is where I cried last service. I'm going to try not to cry. I would love to just be a stone cold robot and never cry. <laughs> It'd be so much easier, but it's much more humbling. I think Jesus keeps these tears so that I stay humbled. I found purpose in this house. I found purpose in this house. And so while you may think, well, man, he's a little angry or it feels like he's shame or feels like he's whatever, man, I, it's because I found Jesus in this house. I found Jesus here. I found men that became fathers in my life. And I found women that became mothers in my life. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we have a house to meet in, a house to gather. And I'm thankful for the sacrifices that men and women made before me so that we could gather. And were they perfect? Absolutely not. But neither am I. But you know what's amazing? When your leadership's not perfect, it makes Jesus all the more beautiful because he is. Right? Well, that church really, really, really hurt me. Well, good luck finding one that doesn't. Because guess what's gonna be there? People. And you've also probably hurt people. 
I've never met anybody that hasn't been hurt and anybody that hasn't hurt somebody else. Now, should we hold our leadership to a high standard? Absolutely. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but understand your leadership's not gonna be perfect and you're not gonna be perfect. It's funny too, we get hurt in other things that don't cause us to leave. I know a lot of people who have been hurt by their bosses or by their jobs and they just didn't quit working. I know there's many people who are married in this room today that you were married before or that you dated before, somebody else that you were really hurt by. I'm glad you didn't give up on relationships. But it's like church is the only thing that we give up on because we got hurt. Jesus loves his bride and he is sanctifying her and he is cleansing her and he's using all of us with each other to sanctify each other, to cleanse each other, to make us look more like him, to challenge each other like this word was pretty challenging this morning. But I found Jesus in this house. I found Jesus here. I found friends that became closer than brothers. I found wholeness and healing in this house. I've got zeal for this house. I've got zeal for this house. Question a lot of, a lot of times it's easy to ask in the South is where, where do you go to church? And I, I don't really want to ask people that to start with. I want to ask, hey man, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Okay, what? Well, if you do, what body now do you call home? What body do you call home? Because you need a gathering, man. Proverbs 18.1 says that a man who isolates himself is destined for destruction. You need a gathering. You need people. And I know that people even can come in. You can come in here and be lonely. Proverbs says if you show yourself friendly, you'll find friends. I love you, church. I have zeal for me. I have zeal for this temple. I have zeal for you. I have zeal for your temple. And that's why I, a lot of times it, these words, they're sharp, man. Sometimes they cut. But it's because I have zeal for you. I want you to look like Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. I want to represent him to a lost and dying world. Do you have zeal for his house this morning? Stand with me. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I love Chloe and Hunter. I know they're walking out right now, but just seeing them walk out. They're not walking out because they're mad. I love Chloe and Hunter. I love their heart for the Lord. You know why they're walking out right now? They walk out during the closing prayer so that they can try to greet every teenager that's in this room. I appreciate the sacrifices they make for our young people. And I keep telling them, I keep telling them they're going to be my kids' youth pastors. And I'm so excited that they're going to be my kids' youth pastors because they're amazing. They're absolutely, I remember telling Chloe in high school, I told her that she was going to be my youth pastor one day. And here she is.
But church, I want to encourage you too, is that you have something to offer here. You're not here just to be entertained by me, to be entertained by Pastor Tim or Paul or by our worship team. You have a gift. Read Romans 12, read 1 Corinthians 12. What stirs up, like when you read about those giftings, what stirs up on the inside of you? And then come into this place and use that gift, man. You don't need a microphone to prophesy. You don't need a microphone to pray over someone. You don't need a, a, a microphone to pray over somebody and see them get healed. You don't have to have a microphone to use your gift in this house. Do you have zeal for this house? Do you love those that you're standing next to? I love a lot of you and I don't even know your name. You know my name, I don't know your name. And I love you. I meet believers all the times that are from different churches or different parts of the world. And it's like, I have known you my whole life. You ever felt that way about somebody, oh, another believer that you met? Why? It's because they have the same DNA as you. How cool is that? It's so true. We're way over time. I'm rambling. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these people. I thank you so much. God, I thank you that you had zeal for your house. I thank you that you had enough zeal for me that you came and flipped over the tables in my heart, that you drove out the things with the whip in my heart. God, I'm thankful that you took the whip for me, that you laid your life on that cross and you took those nails. You took upon my sin and you gave me your righteousness so that I could be closer to you than the skin on my bones. I'm thankful that you had zeal for this house. I'm thankful that you had zeal for this area, for this location on the earth. You had enough zeal that you would call a woman, you would call a man, you would call Hetty and Don Brooks to plant a church here. I'm thankful that you had enough zeal that you called Tim and Terry to carry on that mantle. I'm thankful that you had this, a zeal for this house, for these people, for the ones that have been impacted by this ministry and who are gonna be impacted for the next generations to come, Lord. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful that you had zeal for this house. I'm so thankful that you've got zeal for, your, for not just your local church, God, but for the global church, the ones all over the world that are making disciples of nations that are bringing heaven to earth, that are making the earth like Eden again. God, as we leave this place, as there's a, a, a coming in and a going out of the corporate gathering, as we, we come in here and we get equipped and we get trained to do your good work, we come in here to lift up your name and to worship you, first of all. But and then as we get filled with your spirit, and as we leave this place, God, we wanna shine bright for you at our jobs, before our families, in our homes, in, in the grocery store, on the golf course, wherever we're at this week that we are shining bright for you. We shine bright for you, God. We don't want to give people us. We want to give people you. We thank you for your zeal, God. Stir up a, zeal, a zealousness. Stir up that zeal inside of our heart. That we would burn for you. And we would represent you well. We thank you that we get to be a part of this body. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.